Hey. What's going on? Oh, I'm excited to be back here again, brother. Man, yeah. We got a big one again today. Another big one. Yeah, I, it was funny because I know like we kind of like left the last one we're like, yeah, you know, it's not so bad. You know, this one's going to be a good one. Then we've got like a million pages of notes. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. So I'm excited. Pretty funny. Yeah, because we were like, there's not a whole lot in this one. We could do it in an hour. Yeah, not going to happen. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not. So uh, for those of you who are just joining us for the very first time and uh, for those who are coming back, uh, you know, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for joining us for the first time. Uh, what we're doing is we're breaking down the books and uh, series for Game of Thrones. Right now we are at the point where we're at uh, season four in the TV series. And this is where it kind of gets a little interesting because it, the Storm of Swords, it's so big and massive that they couldn't fit the entirety of season three to just cover that book like we could for Game of Thrones and Clash of Kings. So it takes about two-thirds of the Storm of Swords and goes into the first half, or maybe the first quarter, of A Feast for Crows. So we're kind of in that in-between period with Season 4. Right. Yeah, and I mean a lot of big things happen here. Yes, yeah, seriously. Going to. Actually, a lot of... Uh, one of my favorite characters is introduced during this whole section here, which is really cool. Wait, who's your guy? The Viper of Dorne. The Red Viper. The Prince... Prince Oberon, man. He's pretty He's cool. He's my boy, so... Uh, a little pompous, very uh, kind of... Uh, very interesting with the way his, you know, sexual deviants go, man. He's uh, he's definitely a jack-of-all-trades and a master of a couple. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about some of his like great qualities, but what do you say we get a little cheers going today, Yeah, right? let's get a little, uh, you know, one of our favorite phrases that's kind of catching on now. Coin the term. Got that, uh, I got the mouse in the... Malice in the Chalice. Malice in the Chalice! Yeah, I actually looked it up this week, right? (sighs) So, I didn't know the Chalice of Malice is actually a magic card. And then we originally took this from you said... Yes! Any of you guys are basketball or sports fans in general... Uh, there is an incident that happened between the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons uh, back at the Palace of Auburn Hill. It's called the Malice in the Palace when, you know, the basketball players started fighting the fans and they got really out of control, like uh, beers being thrown, just popcorn, everything. It got it got rowdy. And so, uh, you know, I always like to like, joke around and make rhymes. And so oh, yeah. we, we, we always use the word chalice on here because it's, you know, one of the old ancient words for goblet or cups. So uh, kind of just came and stuck, man. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, and for those of y'all listening on the podcast, every time y'all hear maybe like what a... Let's do a little teen sound again, just to make sure everyone can get a look here. There, every time you hear that sound, that's actually me and Josh toasting our wine glasses because you know we gotta get gotta get that malice at the bottom of the glass, right? I'm with you, brother, especially with Game of Thrones because I'll tell you what, if you're gonna make it through this series, you're gonna need something to drink. <laughs> our biggest arc we've ever done. So it's, this is set the bar. I mean, even our listeners uh, gotta thank you guys. Absolutely. So. And, uh, you know, where we left off last week, uh, you know, it was a nice day for a red wedding. <laughs> so, yeah, so. Uh, Which, uh, before we go into it real quick, yeah. it kind of relates, right? Because speaking of, like, red weddings and stuff, and I know you're thinking I'm going to go serious here. So I started coming up with this whole theory for Josh's malice in the chalice quote, right? And, like, all week I'm like, oh, man, what was he thinking about Malice in the Chalice? <laughs> Not the palace in the, <laughs> malice in the palace. Right. That's what it's from, right? 
So I'm like, oh man, that's great, right? Because Malice in the Chalice. Malice in the Chalice. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is like the magic card, which I looked up, found that it's actually Chalice of Malice, not real. Or Chaos of Malice is what they also have. No, but I'm like, oh, I get it. It's like at the end of the glass, you have malice. So in the chalice, there's malice. <laughs> you have bad intentions. Bad intentions because the alcohol. I got oh, it. yeah. I got good it. stuff. So that's going to be one of our new phrases here. So And he, he he's like, yeah, man, is that what you meant by that? I was like, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, exactly. then I, I, I showed him, and he's like, oh, okay, that, that's awesome. But that's going to be our thing going forward. That's right? our like, thing, man. So to, if you heard us before, you know, you know, you heard Ridiculous Crew yeah. has no rhymes. It has no rhymes. <laughs> we're going with that one. So. Oh, yeah. So we're going with Chalice of Malice in the Chalice. Malice brother. in the Chalice, baby. Let's get a little dilly dilly Malice in the Chalice. One more time for the fans. One more time for the fans. All right. So, uh, yeah, stuff. man, like, you know, we, let's let's talk a little bit about where we left off, um, you know, really what the last scene was, was uh, with Daenerys after she had conquered uh, Yunkai, all the slaves came out and started calling her Misa, which is mother in Low Valyrian, so, uh, you know, we kind of got to that point where she was coming into her own, right? and so that kind of transitions to where we're at here in season four, it kind of takes, the first couple episodes of season four don't really focus on Daenerys very much. No, they really don't. And um, as we're kind of stepping away from Daenerys for just a moment, I want everyone to know, because a lot of people have actually raised this question, which it kind of seems, if you're like a diehard, you know, Game of Thrones fan like me and Josh, like, you could be a little bit surprised because you think it's so obvious to, like, notice it. But a lot of people don't know, right? Um, so Daenerys, her braids, the reason you start to see her hair getting longer here is because, you know, just like the Dothraki did, every time they conquered someone, they just, you know, kept adding the braids and let it keep growing. Yeah, they never cut their hair mm -hmm. until they were defeated. So as you see her hair get longer with the braids, it's because she never cuts it because she keeps winning at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not even just the length of her, too. Like, you, you see her adding more different types of right. braids, which is interesting. So it's like an homage to Khal Drogo. Mm -hmm. So it kind of really goes to show that, you know, our, one of our questions almost being answered uh, for ourselves is like, maybe she really did have a long, a strong sense of love, even though it turned out like, you know, she was sold into it. She, right. she learned to love him right. and, you know, kind of pays that homage. So really great point with, with the braids and how every time uh, you win a battle uh, or a victory, you add more to it. And so if that's something you guys didn't pay attention to, go back and look at it. It's really interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So Yeah, but, uh, you know, season four, we kind of start out uh, with uh, Tywin melting down Ned Stark's sword Ice. Making two Valyrian swords, one for Jaime, uh, one for uh, Joffrey. Uh, and so, basically, at this point in time, Jaime Lannister returned to King's Landing. He didn't have a hand. So, Tywin figured, you know, we have a precedence. We can, you know, relieve you of your duties from the King's Guard. You're going to go back to Casterly Rock, find a suitable wife, and really continue the family name. And Jamie's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> He's like, you know, a king's guards vow sworn for life. And Tywin makes the like the president's like, well, you know, uh, you know, Cersei, she relieved Barris and Selmy of his king's guard duties. So now that there's a precedent, you know, we can do that. You know, you can do the same thing. And the thing is, is Jamie didn't want to because he wanted to stay close to Cersei. Right. Yeah. 
right? And so he didn't want to take a wife. He didn't want to do that. And so he, he basically thought his father was going to take the Valyrian sword back. And Talon said something really funny. He said, uh, keep it. Uh, one-handed man with no family is going to need all the help you can get. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of how it really started off. Uh, that was a beautiful sword, by the way. It's how, it was really interesting to see how they make the swords, how they break the hilt off, and how oh, yeah. the metal comes down um, with the, the hilt cross guard and comes down to a very small, thin piece of metal at the bottom that goes into the hilt, and they kind of... Right. You know, weld it from there. I thought it was really nice to see. Oh, yeah, it was great. It was great to see uh, <laughs> Jamie look a little cleaner <laughs> now that he's come back. Which so. was interesting because, like, you know, in, in season one where you first meet him, right. he's got, like, the long, like, long hair and he yeah. looked very regal. Right. And then he went through that whole mess of, like, a year and a half of being a prisoner and he got his hand chopped off and he gets it dirty and, you know, so he, he cuts his hair and he looks good cleaned up. You, you know? know what's really funny is I was thinking about this the other day. You gotta look at the memes of he looks just like the prince in Shrek. <laughs> like, oh my god! From season one, I know exactly. He <laughs> yeah, looks just That's like it. That's so man. funny. Yeah, it's uh, so it's, it's, it's uh, Gaylord Farquhar, right? That's, yeah, uh, is that the one? Not the short one, but you know oh, the guy with the golden hair. Okay. Uh, what's his name? I thought I thought I it was that one, but um, Farquhar, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I'm interested in that. His name's... We'll look, I mean, we'll look it up later on. Yeah, I want to look this up. But, I might uh, look it up right now. You want to look it up? Right, go go look for it. Right it. I'll look it up. And while you're checking that out, I do want to talk a little bit about... Um, because, like you mentioned, one of your favorite characters is introduced at this point in time, uh, Prince Oberyn. Yeah. You know, they kind of almost disrespected the Lannisters, in a way. So we don't really learn a lot about why the uh, Dornish are kind of upset with the Lannisters, and they didn't even send the actual Prince Doran, they sent Oberyn instead, which is a slight, because he's not the actual true ruler in Doran, he's the second son. So, they already, they had already arrived earlier ahead of the um, welcoming party, so Tyrion was telling uh, Bronn and uh, Podrick that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a great diplomat, I'm excited that, you know, he's, he's going to kind of take control of the whole situation, and like the Dornish people just kind of roll over him. They, they, he starts seeing the um, banners. Podrick starts seeing the banners, and he's, like, he's asking which ones he sees, and he said, hey, do you see, like, a sun and a spear? And he said, no. <laughs> and uh, that's because it's all the other major houses of Dorne coming up because Oberyn arrived on his own time. <laughs> I want to know... Okay, it looks just like... I actually found it. What, what is it? Who is it? Funny what you said. Um, I'm trying to, like read what the... Because what's funny is it keeps showing the picture, mm -hmm. but it doesn't say... Just like Prince Charming from Shrek. Oh, okay, so it's Prince Charming. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're right, it is. Dude, it, it is. looks just like... Yeah, Prince Charming. I got the... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Because, like, yeah, Farquaad was the guy with the darker hair. And he the does, though. Yeah. yeah. That's Farquaad, so man, that's kind of disrespectful. <laughs> right. You know, like... Farquaad was the guy that was what, like... <laughs> see, I can see more of a comparison not being disrespectful here, but... No, I didn't. But the thing is, he looked, he looked just like that. No, you're <laughs> right. This, I'm looking at this one meme, right? Which I... For all our podcast listeners out here and all our viewers, it says... This fan made a meme that says... It has him and Jamie next to it from, like, the first season and then the first movie. And then the second scene is in and the second movie... It just says, still to me, there is no difference. <laughs> <laughs> I wish so you guys saw that. that was, it was pretty funny. That's hilarious. Um, no, and, you know, I know that uh, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about Prince Oberon in a little bit, but I think one of the really important things that we bring into now is kind of like the differences of um, when and how 
Sir Dantos, well, he's not really a sir anymore, right? He was a knight until he became King Joffrey's fool. He comes to the godswood and gives Sansa a necklace, comes up with this whole elaborate story, like, hey, I want my, my house to have one more uh, day in the sun, right? You know, do me this favor, wear this necklace at this wedding, gives her a big old sob story, and, like, we kind of all buy it, yeah. you know? I mean, it sounds, it sounds legit. We find out later what that really kind of came from. But so now we start to see the plan for Sansa's escape come in motion. Right. Uh, yeah, so we... That kind of winds up playing out, you know, later on, which we're going to talk about pretty soon. Um, but yeah, you kind of start to see everything start almost getting, I don't want to say happier, but relief for her at this during this whole arc. Yeah, I mean, because like she, the last couple episodes of the last season, it's like um, it goes up and down. For her, it's like for her, her she's, yeah. she's had quite a turbulent. Uh, I mean, for all the Starks, really, like they they all yeah. went up and uh, seriously, yeah. every single one was an up and downer, right? Well, technically, um, I guess it's her fault, anyways. Right, because she could have escaped earlier <laughs> yeah. with Baelish in the first place, and she decided not to. Right, you know, it's and you know if. Uh, uh, they were care more careful about the plans to marry her to Sir Loras, which actually in the books it was Sir Loras's eldest brother that they were planning to marry her to. But he doesn't exist in the TV series. Um, you know, if they were more quiet about that, she could have been you know the Lady of High Garden. You know, there's so many things that if you like, we always talk about. You change very small details, and there's a whole different outcome for everybody, right? Right. So. But now, you know, we start to see, like, hey, this is this is going to be the, 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 we're starting to come to the part, like, okay, great. So Sansa's going to finally attempt to make her escape in King's Landing, because she's been there, she was, so, you know, basically three years, right? right. So the beginning yeah. of, you know, from the the Game of Thrones where she arrives, and now she's kind of been, like, a, a glorified hostage, really. Right, she really has. <laughs> a glorified yeah. hostage. So. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is at the point where you start feeling, at least in the beginning of this season, Towards the end of Storm of Swords, you feel like, you know, the not the stars, but the Lannisters are kind of starting to get what they deserve. But then you kind of start getting introduced to this other sick bastard <laughs> that we'll talk about later on today. <laughs> yeah, oh man. Uh, he's, he's, from his, he's, he's from his own little world. Like, uh, literally well, the Joker of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, like, we were introduced to him last season. Like, that's, like, he... he we already talked about him. He removed Theon's, you know. Uh, you didn't really know how sick he was until starting like this. Like how intellectual and sick he was. He uses his psychological like domination over Theon to accomplish a couple things in this season. But I still think the worst of what he's done really happened last season, right? You know, he's he flayed Theon to a certain extent, cut his manhood off, sent it to his dad. Like, uh, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. <laughs> that's you know? pretty bad. Basically, you know, the, the Greyjoy line can't continue, right? You know, he's his last living son, and you can't yeah. do anything now. Yeah. So um, it's kind of stopped in the face there. But if you're, you're Thailand, right. That's, but, uh, that's the there is still an exciting do. point with him coming on later when, because we told you, like, uh, like when our last episode, Yara stands up to Balon and says, well, I'm taking our fastest ship with 50 of uh, our, our best men, and we're going to go save yeah. my little brother. And uh, we'll tell you how that turns out yeah. <laughs> a little bit. But, um, yeah. you know, kind of what comes up next in episode one, you know, Hound and Arya, they go to a tavern. Uh, and uh, it's it's funny because everything kind of starts off peaceful. The Lannister men, they're like, oh, it's, it's the Hound. He's one of us. Right. And, they, oh, we, and uh, when he kind of starts getting disrespectful towards him because mm -hmm. he says, fuck the king again. <laughs> like, yeah. Like the, his name was Polliver. He goes... We heard that you tucked tail and ran from from the Blackwater, yeah. but we couldn't believe it. And like, so he's like, they disrespect like like the Hound, this like six 
seven, like, jack dude that's like a, a monster with a sword in his hand. Like, <laughs> he's disrespecting him right to his face. And so even though he had said that he's going to think the drinks are on them, and, like, you know, he wants chicken and stuff, then he realizes that he said fuck the king and they're not with the Lannisters... He's like, oh, no, friend, I'm not paying for this. And he's like, all you're talking is making me thirsty. Oh, yeah. Grabs the other guy's <laughs> own drink, throws it down right in front of him. He says, I think I'll take two chickens. <laughs> I think I'll take two chickens. I gotta say, this was my favorite scene. I still remember when I watched it for the first time. This, even all the way to the end of the entire series, was one of those episodes... I remember just the scene because it was so significant and like everything that went down, how funny it was, uh, but how it really showed like, you know, you have these soldiers, just like, you know, Brad Pitt says in Troy as Achilles, you know, soldiers fight for kings that don't even know what the shit they're talking about. They're just fighting for kings because they can. And the Hound is the one that literally stands up to him and he says, fuck the king. Yeah. Like, fuck this. Well, if that's the case. And then he goes... If you're not going to hand me the chicken, I'm going to eat every fucking chicken in this room. <laughs> and it was amazing. And it's funny, because then like that big battle starts, and in the books, in the Storm of Swords, the Hound has a much more difficult time handling these five Lannister men than it's really portrayed. And, you know, Obviously, he had that time he got knocked down on his back, but like, you never really any like real worry if the Hound was going to survive that, where... It was really touch and go in in the books. Like he had to be like heal. Like Arya had to do a couple things to kind of, you know, heal to the best of her ability. You know, disinfect certain like wounds and stuff. And like you know, so it that was that was an interesting key difference. And then also, what was really badass is if you guys remember, Polliver's the one that took Arya's sword and needle back in season one when they th threw it through uh, Lamy Greenhand's neck. And, like, you know, so they t took her to Harrenhal, right? She goes to Harrenhal in, in Season 2, and Polliver had her sword. So she, I mean, obviously, she noticed it from the very beginning, before they even entered the tavern, that that's, that's her sword. But what she does is, be, like, as he tries to get up to, like, take the, like, you know, attack the hound when his back's turned, she takes the sword and, like, and kicks him down on the ground and, like, basically repeats word for word what he had said to Lamy, like, two years ago, and she said the same thing back to him. He's like, Can, you can't walk by. Oh, this is a nice little sword thing. I'll pick my teeth with it. And put it right through his neck like he did to the boy uh, a couple seasons ago. So it was a nice yeah. little symmetry, full circle. Oh, I loved it. Great. I love it. I mean, this is where you really start seeing kind of the Arya's relationship with the Hound grow. Um, yeah. Their interaction with each other. And I mean, we talked about this in other episodes before, but how you're kind of starting to see Arya develop at this point. She mean, start, she's, yeah, she's not getting her ass kicked as much yeah. anymore. She's starting to do some of the ass kicking. Yeah, <laughs> so, she's no longer a princess. She's <laughs> right. Yeah, um, she's always had like the thing, but she's always had gotten the short end of the stick, and she's starting to finally, you know, come around yeah. on that end. Which you know, by the time the end of the season is really, you know, she's going right. to really start getting some of the stuff. But we won't, we won't talk about that now. But um, I think the next really th most important thing that we should talk about in, in episode one is Jon Snow back at Castle Black. He's on trial from Maester Aemon, Alistair Thorne, and Janos mm -hmm. Slint yeah, for like, his indiscretions with the Wildlings. And to Jon's credit, he comes clean about everything, betting a Wildling woman, becoming part of their army, infiltrating them, talking about how Corrin Halfen, he was instructed to kill him and, and do all of those things, but he never 
um, you know, gave up his loyalty to the Night's Watch. And if you guys, obviously, anyone who's watched Game of Thrones from the very, very beginning, Jon Snow and Alistair Thorne, they hate each other. Yeah. Like, like for whatever reason, uh, Alistair Thorne just always had it out for him from the beginning, and I never really understood why, because Alistair Thorne is a knight himself. So it's like he, he was in some position of prominence, like, why are you so threatened by Jon Snow? It didn't make any sense right, to me, yeah. but, you know, sometimes people just don't like people and it doesn't vibe. I guess that's what it is. But Maester Aemon uh, basically kind of called the shot there, like, we're not taking your head today, Jon right. Snow. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's like, he could have lied about it, he came clean about everything. And what's really interesting, too, and Samuel Tarly says it a couple episodes later, I'm going to say it now because, you know, when he says it, there's no real importance to it. But if you go by the exact verbiage of the oath that the Night's Watch takes, it says nothing that you're not allowed to bed a woman. It says, I will take no wife and I'll father no children. It, has nothing, it says nothing about engaging in yeah. relations with women. So kind of like a loophole there. We don't really know. Dirty man. Was, yeah, right? So <laughs> Sam Sam Tarly, he's like, like up for interpretation. Yeah. Trying to... Trying to, you know, get it on with Gilly. Gilly Dilly. Gilly Dilly. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, that, I mean, honestly, that's the one thing that uh, she, yeah, uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, really, those are the big main key points in, in episode one. Um, as we kind of go into episode two, we start to see a little bit more of the sadisticness of oh, our yes. Ramsey Snow. Yeah. So, if you guys remember, Theon, when they, they took his manhood... Um, they, they cut him, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> castrated. They castrated. A great, great word yeah. for it. They castrated him, right? Um, that's a nice word. <laughs> yeah, right? that's a good so, one. So, good old chouse in the mouse, baby. It's a little mouse chouse time. You know all right. Pour me one, brother. I thought so, you were going to be like, Port Podrick Payne. Port, <laughs> yeah. Port Podrick Payne. That's some alliteration right oh, there. Yeah, if like you think that. about it, you realize how he became the little... Jester guy that he was. He actually he was a really great later. squire, man. So yeah, yeah he was. Um, and we talk about the nice line that Tyrion gave him when uh, he uh, exited him from his services. But um, yeah, so if you guys remember when Ramsay castrated Theon, he had two women kind of seduce him, right? And so Miranda, the, the Miranda and Tansy. Yep. And so Miranda, uh, you'll be like, so the, all, what we see basically is. Tansy's running through the woods, mm-hmm. and you see like the dogs chasing her, and and Ramsey and Miranda and Theon like running after her, and the only reason that he's hunting her down is because she made Miranda jealous because he called her pretty. Right. Like this guy's such a psycho that he's like, well, I don't want to be inconvenienced, so I'm just gonna kill you. Yeah. So he's like, but I'll tell you, what, he always makes a game. He always makes a game out of everything. Very Joker yes. like. Right. Said if you get out of these woods, you win. And then I like me. Jeez. A guy with a plan. A guy with a plan. <laughs> like a guy with a plan. <laughs> so, you know, it was interesting because, like, you know, he let Miranda really should have put her one right through her leg and they cornered her and the dogs ate her. But uh, he makes every everything a game because later on, like, you know, season five, when we go into that big battle, I won't, I don't want to give much away. Well, season six, I apologize. Season six, um, yeah. Uh, the big battle there, you know, with um, the, the youngest brother of the uh, Starks, he makes a game out of that too. Yeah. But before that even starts, right? Which so he doesn't even always, happen in the books. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but this is something that, you know, what his constant characteristics of Ramsey Snow is he is a psychological manipulator who 
really can break your will and your spirit and makes a game out of it. Because remember, in the very beginning, oh, yeah. when we first meet him, he pretends to be Theon's savior. He brings <laughs> him all the way out and then drags him back in. He's a psycho, man. He's a psycho. And that's what makes it so genius. Like, you think it can't get any worse than, you know, Joffrey just being a dick. Well, they're like, we got Ramsey this little guy on the side. Joffrey look like yeah. a kitten. That's like, <laughs> that's like when Christopher Nolan was like, hey, we did The Dark Knight, but we also have this little thing called Inception coming out. That's <laughs> a pretty badass bill. Ramsey, that's why I love him so much. And don't get me wrong, like I don't like think he's like a great person by all means. Uh, but he plays the role that he's needed to for sure. Though. He's just so sick and intellectual. There's a statement he makes later on, which we'll talk about. But he tells Jon Snow, he says. You know, I'm not taking you on one on one. Yeah, like that. Why would I ever do that? <laughs> like, like that would like, make maybe no you sense. are as good. Maybe you aren't. <laughs> but like, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but yes, like he he is always intellectual. He he thinks steps ahead, and you know, and it kind of goes into more about that as we go further in here. But since we're talking about that scene though, real quick, okay, right, let me jump in here because it was so much. He's actually toned down a little bit in the show. In the books, he's uh it's very similar, don't get me wrong, but with this specific scene, it's actually pretty pretty sick. Which, for some reason on this, on these episodes, I'm always the one going into the sick detail. I know our viewers and listeners out there are like, why is it Chase always gives the sick? Well, the reason, guys! <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but actually, in the books, what he does is he... Uh, turns to Miranda and was saying he actually does this for good sport is a quote that he said and he usually recaptures them on a regular basis and then will fillet them alive and rape them which is pretty sick in the show they're not going to show that I mean we already had that whole UK deal with Sansa I doubt they're going to show that because how sick he is Yeah. Uh, but it's all just like you said the Joker like there's actually if you go to a comic book a lot of people know the Killing Joke, just by like the animated show on HBO they did. That was just a little rendition of actually the Killing Joke. Actually, the Killing Joke with the Joker, he actually rapes Commissioner Gordon's wife, and he's like a sick, just like in. I mean, it was more anarchy Joker, right? In the Dark Knight, but just how Ramsey is to the Joker, they're both. Not that they're going off the seat of their pants, but they're so intellectual to the point of they can come up with a plan right there, and it works perfect. Like, even when, you know, this whole time, this plan was to make sure Theon didn't realize he was in even himself. Well, and, I mean, you know, outside of that, like, to your point, like, he came up with that, that um, like, maneuver in a way. Like, when his, his dad came back, Bruce Bolton, comes back and, like, totally berates him for... Like, you know, making Theon his little play thing. Like, he, he, right on the spot, he's like, okay, well, hey, hey, Reek, come over here. Um, I haven't, you're gonna, like, let me present myself in front of my father. I just have to shave. Puts a freaking razor <laughs> in his hand, like, taunts him about killing Rob Stark, and, like, the guy's just shaving his face. The like, 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 he, he is one step ahead of the game, and I, like, his character is, is, like, detestful. You do not... I, I couldn't stand it. Every time he's on scene, I was like, oh, I can't stand this guy. But that is, like, the, the role that he's meant to play, and it's it's really interesting. Yeah, which... Two things here, real quick, before we jump on. Um, as far as... 
one, I want to say the fact that she was eaten by the dogs, right? Mm-hmm. That's all foreshadowing for later on, um, for that one scene. But as far as, you know, how really sadistic he is, um, it really, I want to say they really played it out well in the show to show that, because you got to break that down in your mind, right? Like, Ramsey, Ramsey Snow, which later he becomes Ramsey Bolton, which we'll get into, um, because, you know, he's a bastard, uh, just like John, which... You know, they talked about a little bit in Clash of Kings, even going back, um, even in season two a little bit. But as far as how sick that is, a guy that literally you captured, that's your enemy, you're going to allow to put a razor to your throat, and you trust yourself so much that you brainwash this motherfucker, excuse my language, that you're going to let him put a razor to your throat and shave your face. And you're going to sit there and smile as he does it, like he's your servant the entire it's, time. Can you even imagine that? Like, if you think about and he was Ned or all the enemies, they fought down to the last minute, even though they some knew they would be executed. Like, he's literally going to allow you to put a razor to your throat and shave it for you. Yeah. Like, how messed up is that? So much like, for King of the Rock. On top of that, too, he's also taunting him while he's doing it. He's like, oh, yes, my father put a knife through Rob Stark's oh, heart. Yes. He oh, was yes. your friend, wasn't he, Reek? Like, he was just, like, like, really like, taunting him while this guy, like, naked, like, knife is to his throat. Like, so... Yeah, and just a reminder, you know, he named him Reek because he smelled. We talked about that last episode a little bit, but his name was Reek because he came up on the top of his head, like we were talking about, oh, you need a better name. Oh, you smell so bad. I'll name you Reek. <laughs> Reek is your name. But um, one, one thing I wanted to yeah. mention too, actually, because we did talk about bastards. Every bastard of every area has a specific last name. So in the north, every bastard is called Snow. Where in the um, like the Riverlands, every uh, bastard is called Rivers. Mm-hmm. And then in Dorne, every bastard is called Sand. Right. So those are some of the important things um, that I wanted to bring up as well. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like we spent a lot of time on Ramsey already, and we haven't even gotten to a lot of what he yeah, does like later on. Yeah. So we'll, we'll jump back into him a little bit, but I think it's going to be really important. Yeah. Uh, One quick thing, though, real quick before we jump. I know we're not focused on Daenerys much because it starts to move away from her a little bit. Um, so uh, we mentioned last episode, you know, Dario Naharis was recast due to Netflix. So you kind of see him in the very beginning gambling. Not Netflix, Tron. He, he, or was Tron it? or Transformers. It was one of the two. Because one of the two. He took yeah, a big movie on, and so he, he wasn't yeah. able to do um, that. Uh, he wasn't able to do the role. There's a lot of actor changes in Game of Thrones. Yeah, we're going to bring yeah, we're gonna go through that for too, sure. But um, you saw this like gambling scene, with Grey Worm, where that was kind yeah. of introduced. So that didn't happen in the books, but I thought it was really cool. No, was, yeah. That was a good idea for, like, kind of, like, reintroducing him. Yeah, that actually, no, good point. That was a good idea for reintroducing, like, him as a, as a new character. Right. Because, you know... Like, uh, some of the other ones, they just show up, and you're like, you're what? Like, what is going on? <laughs> like, yeah. you know what? 100%. <laughs> but, like, when... Yeah. When Martin Lannister died, and he came back as Tom, and, like, the new king, like, wait, dude, you died, like, a, two seasons ago. What are you doing? They're just out of nowhere. Which, real quick, since we're on this Dario Naharis topic... I almost thought he was a little bit more, almost like suave, like Prince of Persia esque, like more cunning. Like he wasn't like as Gerard Butler, like I'm gonna completely f you up kind of thing. Yeah. And like I'm such a badass, like Achilles. Like I don't need to 
do shit, I'm cool. Ooh, but he was, good characterization of the previous Dario He Harris. was. He was, he was very like Achilles, Achilles right? I like that. Was, I like that. Yeah, that was badass. I like right? that. That was dope. Um, yeah, see, I can make my, my references and everything. <laughs> everything. Joker and Achilles, two for two, baby. <laughs> Anyways, but I kind of felt like he definitely portrayed... It's funny, because as you kind of more dove into this whole relationship he had with Danny, as we're about to talk about later on, he kind of played more of the role for it. Almost like he had the whole Robert Patterson, Edward Cullen thing going on. I mean, I mean the whole thing. I mean, the Jake original Jill actor, Hall. like the, the, way. the original <laughs> actor too. Like he, the whole his whole character was built on. I'm doing this because I basically want to get in your pants. Like literally, yeah. like like he feels feels like I think you know you're more beautiful than what they would yeah. have given me as part of the second son. It's like it was really interesting. But yeah, um, I do want to talk. Yeah, I thought he pulled it off. Though. That was pretty badass. I, I mean, he, he is a great character. I, he's, you know, probably top five for me. But wouldn't you say that's very interesting, though, how they did that? Because they didn't make him look anything like the Nothing. First it wasn't one. close at all. Like, it's like they wanted people to remember, like, a completely different person. So it, you're that like, 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 yo, like, are you going to try to slide that past me? Like, <laughs> like you, you just go act like you didn't <laughs> know like, that that was a completely different human. Like, what the first mountain? Okay, so uh, we'll talk about more in detail later on, but the mountain. His yeah. first character change from the very first actor that played him to the second one, it was close-ish. They yeah, almost close, looked right. like yeah. this guy. These guys are completely, completely different. different. Like and then like they never even like acknowledge it. No. Like even mid-season, no. like just randomly shows up like out of nowhere. And like one's like completely different size, his size like, like build, like is like almost like you know the other guy was kind of more just typical. Yeah. This guy's kind of like. Almost like a more sophisticated, like, suave brawn. Right. Like, really, yeah. a cell sword who, like, you know, is airy and cocky in his ways, but you know, it, it was a different portrayal of the character than the, the initial one. But, yeah. but Which, no, real like, quick, though, I think we should mention, because we forgot to mention last episode. So, in the books, Dario Naharis is very kind of flamboyant a little bit, and he has this blue hair and this blue beard. He kind of looks like. A Persian prince, like he has the almost like the Dothraki braids kind of thing yeah. going on. So you're like, what's going on here? You're right. That, that the way they characterize him in the books and the TV series is quite different. Because yeah. um, like yeah. the original Darian Harris, like didn't have a beard at all. He was clean. Not at all. Yeah. And then like the next one, very right? still, like it's still only stubble type. They kind of use your style beard. Yeah. Like oh, thanks, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what happens every time I go to like Cowboys. Like yeah. you see someone with a big beard, and I'm like, hey man, I'm trying to be your dreader. Yeah, I can't grow face cool. in my life, so uh, I, I, I'm yeah. with it. But you know, let's let's talk a little bit about. Um, yeah, like, actually, just real quick. I'm sorry, I got the quote here of the books, which is really cool. Just since I can go through it real fast, but um, they described him in the books. He had bright blue eyes. He dyed his hair in hair blue. Um, he actually had a golden tooth in his mouth mm -hmm. and a curling nose and a mustache painted gold. Like, that's very... You saw none of that. <laughs> I actually wrote down here, when I was reading it, looks like a pirate, like Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> like, if Captain Jack Sparrow had this blue face. Like, so now I'm picturing, like, Danny that looks like an elf, and she's, like, breeding with, with this violet pirate eyes. thing. So they really should be wearing pirate hats. <laughs> like, you know, like, what's going on? Which I told you Chase last time. Chase likes to reach with stuff. I, I come big way reach. out of, like, left field all the time. <laughs> Which, really quick story. So anyone that sees the big pirate hats, I think I told you last time, you know, like at the end of Pirates of the Caribbean with Orlando Bloom, which, you know, that's fantasy. He's Legolas, man. He's the Legolas. Yeah. Anyways, those big hats, like, where Johnny Depp 
as Captain Jack was like, hey, uh, Will, I like your hat. Well, so actually, originally, the real history on that, history on that, just so y'all can kind of take a few notes here, right? So, in England, back in the... Super relevant to see uh, the war. Oh, <laughs> That's why these drag on, and people love it. So it's cool. um, but anyways, right, so the original history on that, just so y'all can know, back in England in the 1700s, 1600s, back when there were kings, so this is really around, like, King Henry VIII and that sort of thing, well, you know, they actually didn't have indoor plumbing until, you know, I guess what, the late 1800s, no, 1900s, late 1900s-ish, mid-1900s? Like, they even had outhouses, right? I would say the late 1800s, they had, like, some, like, very rudimentary some, forms right? of plumbing. Like, yeah. yeah, which actually, they discovered uh, one of the first indoor plumbing systems was um, discovered in the lost city of Pompeii, by the way. It was, like, this whole... Why do someone says Pompeii? I think that song. Ayo, yeah. ayo. Which that relates to because Kit Harrington, <laughs> he was in Pompeii, man. That's See, awesome. I think I'm coming out of left field. Oh, no, okay. All about the circle. He's going to pretend like that was, that was intentional. But, oh, no, but, uh, but definitely not. But anyway, so I can get to the point real quick so we can move on. Uh, the point of Big Hats was because they didn't have indoor plumbing, so they would toss your piss and shit out the window. So actually, they had the hats to the piss and shit. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so everyone's like, every time you're thinking as a, a fantasy fan, right, as I am myself, oh, give yourself a badass hat, right? Well, every time you're thinking of that person that has a badass hat, you want to ask him how much shit hit your face. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, excuse my language, but that's a little bit of history with that. So, um, but yeah, I thought he did a, I thought he did a pretty uh, great job. But now we can move back on over. Well, here's a here's the thing, and the reason I want to bring into this is because this is going to be a big outlier going forward. Not outlier, but like a theme going forward is that Tyrion has Bronn trained Jamie to use his left hand in combat and how we've gone I think mean, we've we've kind of beat to death how great of a swordsman Jamie Lannister was right. when when he was whole with both hands. Mm-hmm. So when he's attempting to train with Braun, he he even what do you say what do you say to, to Tyrion? His exact words like I couldn't beat a stable boy. It turns out I couldn't beat a stable boy with my left hand. Right. It's just, it's not going well. It, it's he hasn't even visited Tyrion yet at this point. But that's when Braun kind of tells him, um, yeah, he, he goes like, you know, the first person that he asked for was you, but Liza Aaron, when he did the first trial by combat back in season one, but the thing is, is Liza Aaron, she demanded it be done that day. But like, you know, how have you not gone to see your own brother? Like, you know, how, he like basically worships you, right? Mm. And so that's kind of guilt him in going to see it. But the main point I wanted to make is that he cannot be Tyrion's champion because he can't fight with his left hand. He's never the same when we go to battle into the wars later on. Right. It's just really sad to see someone from such high prominence in one of the top best swords fighters turn into someone, to his own words, say that couldn't beat a stable boy. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, it makes you kind of wonder how... Do you think the Lannisters really didn't have very good military training? Because that makes you wonder. Because if you start going into all this other stuff, as far as, you know, how the Starks were trained, as far as the history on Aegon, and then even Oberon, which we'll talk about later, it makes you wonder almost, is is Jaime not very intellectual, where he can't come up with strategy with fighting? Like, he was the Kingslayer, right? So he's one of the, he was known as one of the best in 
the entire Westeros. So, was he just... Is he not as intellectual as we think he is? I think he's very intellectual, and I think we see that in a couple of occasions. Number one, where he comes off the top of his head and saves Brienne from being raped and like brutalized by the people who capture them by saying that her island is full of sapphires. Like he came out of the, out of the left field with that. Like the island yeah, of the good. sapphire mm-hmm. isle. Like that was super smart. Uh, you know, he uses big words like uh, her honor unbesmirched. Like I think he's very intelligent. I just don't think he's got the ability to fight. I mean, think about it. Like if I try to write with my left hand right now. It's going to look drastically different right. than when I read my right. right hand. You know, he just started training it. It's not that. I just think, you know, your instincts are all wrong when you are taught and learn one thing your whole life and then you're forced to do almost the exact opposite. It's super awkward. It's not going to feel natural. So I don't think he's unintelligent. I think that he just was so used to being so great that he never thought to train his left hand and like fighting on the left side of his body while he was whole because he never thought that anything could ever happen. He, he had that kind of aura of like, I'm invincible, so I'm not going to even worry about, you know, as I'm young. Because like you learn majority of your skills from ages 5 to 10. Right. Right? So I feel like, you know, maybe if he had put the time in to try to be as good with his left hand as his right hand back then, would never have an issue. He was so arrogant. I think that's the Lannister's downfall is their arrogance because they've got money, they've got gold, they're a big right. name. That's what I think is wrong. I don't think it's the intelligence. I think it's, it's the fact that they're, they believe they're so much better than everybody else. So, I mean, here's a question, right? Um, going into this, which I'm, I'm sure not a lot of people have thought of this, if you take Dario and Harris, mm-hmm. like, let's question... He is the Kingslayer, so he was known, like, not Dario, but James, James the Kingslayer. Kingslayer. Um, just so that's clear for our listeners and viewers. He was known as, like, one of the best swordsmen in Westeros. Right. You go compare him with someone of the Second Sons in Essos, do you think he could beat Dario and Aheris back in his prime? And do you think he was down. trained like that? Or the Unsullied? Do you think he was trained in that manner? Because you got to think... Those people who are over on the ESO side, they were trained basically just for military. So they might not have the brains as far as the intellectual part. Um, however, as far as military skill, they're very military skilled. So my argument is, what if Jamie was really, you know, he did, maybe he did have the intellectual side, but then... You know, maybe he wasn't swordsman skilled as well as them. Like, maybe it was two different levels. So my question, like they say, I'm, I'm curious what your question is. You're asking me in a single combat who I think would win in both their primes, Dario or Jamie. Is that your question? So I guess is it, is it like more of, you know, who's more skilled based on their upbringing? I guess it's a two-part question. Um, one, I would say is, say if you compared him with someone like Dario Naharius, who winds up being a champion for Danny, mm-hmm. uh, and put him in a one-on-one battle in season one. Like, who would win that fight? Here's the second part of the question, right? And I'm comparing Dariona Harris to basically every second son out there or every person in the Unsullied. Okay. Do you think the people in Westeros, because of their money in the Iron Bank, were really trained like they were over in Essos, where then you had the fighting pits and all that stuff over there as well? Here's what I think. And it, it almost kind of takes a unique look at our world today. In Westeros, everything is more 
technologically and modernly advanced than it is in Essos for the most part. So the armor's better. You know, you think about it in Essos, Second Sons don't have great armor. It's all leather. Mm -hmm. Like the Unsullied have only leather armor as well. Right. So it's almost like they have to be more technical and more skilled if they want to survive. Where in Westeros, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when the Hound sends later, you know, he had armor and a big fucking sword. Yeah, right? yeah. So like, you know, it's, it's right. Yeah. Because, so you know, it, it's a tough question. I don't know. Because, like, you know, people like Darian and Harris, they don't fight as a sword fights. They will, they fight with, I'll do whatever it takes to win. So, you know who I right. really compare Darian and Harris to is he's the Essos version of Bronn. That's what I was also. about to ask, yeah. So, you know, yeah. I think the better question is, you know, who would win in a single combat between Braun in his prime or Dario and Harris in his prime? And that's a lot harder to answer. I would say Dario, because even though Braun is... Braun is very primed, right? Um, Braun is uh, uh, very well spoken of in Westeros. However, he's not like the Achilles person in Essos. Uh, Dario, Dario is. You never well, hear no, Dario is either. He kills his captains. Like he was, he was, he was a lieutenant. He wasn't right. even anyone of any sort of prominence. Yeah. He was in the Slavers Bay fighting in the pits. And that is true. I guess the problem is. Is we really don't know about enough about the Westeros military. I mean, I guess I'm assuming Bronn wasn't even brought up in the military. He was literally like someone. He grew up in a really poor area and killed people, and made a living out of it. He did what he had to do to survive at all times. Like it, I don't know. So I don't know who would not. I mean, Daryl Harris and Bronn that'd be a good fight between Jamie and Dario. I'd probably say Dario, just because Jamie only really knew how to fight with a longsword, where Dario can fight with his little dagger. He's like. Very similar to Bronn, who's got that dagger behind his back. He can fight with a regular sword. He can fight with a Dothraki. Um, Arak is what right. they're called. Yeah, so he can fight with a bunch of different weapons. So, so would you say that not that Westeros is spoiled, but would you take would you take armor and money over military skill? Yes, you every, every time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a good. Good argument. I can't argue with that. Especially, that's especially like, when you're talking back then. Because there's no little pro like, projectile missiles, there's no armor-piecing rounds, it's, there's no guns. Like, I mean, it's funny you said that, because it makes sense. It's almost like what, going to what the Hound was saying. Like, he would take a, you know, a broadsword yeah, over... A big fucking sword over... Yeah, I mean... But we'll go to that later, but, there was you know, no dancing guns around. Then, yeah. Right? There's no projectile missiles, like arrows, unless it, you know, you're at a very close range, you're not piercing that armor. Like, so I guess I guess you're right. It, it goes down to you know you never bring a knife to a gunfight. Never bring a knife to a so, gunfight. So I can agree with you. I get on board with that. Just a very interesting question: how each side probably perceived each other. Yeah, and you know what I also think is interesting. Now that you bring it up, is they've never really outside of the Targaryens who like came to Westeros to conquer Westeros and Essos. They really don't have any interaction. Right outside of. Outside of the that way back when Aegon and the Targaryens came over and just took over Westeros, so right. yeah. but yeah, so I, I like to think of it almost like almost like America. Like we've got a lot of technology, and because of that, we're very advanced. But like, if you want our best like single combat fighter hand to hand going against the top Russian fighter hand to hand, I think the Russian guy wins. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like they're just, you know, it's just a completely different. I mean, thing. I don't know. They've got to wrestle bears out there, bro. When's yeah, the last yeah. time you seen an American wrestle a bear for fun? I don't know, man. I mean, my argument with that, you know, me and Josh have to go back and forth. Is go look at Rocky. 
That's a movie. Rocky three. <laughs> Rocky three. That's a movie. Or how about a uh, Creed two, man? I'm just kidding. How about go? That was funny. Like I know we're really getting off. By the way, uh, we actually do have some listeners in Russia, so wanted to thank you guys. Shout for out, guys. Show. Yes, we do see you guys on there, so it means a lot. Y'all are actually doing that. We actually had another listener from India this week, so that meant a lot to us. Um, we noticed you guys in other countries, and uh, just since we're on that topic. Uh, we love you guys out there. So yeah. It means a lot y'all are tuning in. For sure. And just to touch on this this, this Russian thing quickly, because I, I saw it in a video, and I, I don't even know if I could find it again to save my life. But basically... And relax. Take your time. That's why we have this show. In a, in a, in <laughs> Anyone a, in a, that knows us knows this is us. Yeah. And like, just like a battlefield, like it was an actual warfare they were being shot at. This Russian guy got shot, kind of tipped his like uh, helmet that he had on. The bullet was lodged in his skull. Like it was like it was like half in, half out, but like not to the point like where like it, it was. Ju- I think it barely just in- indentured like his his skull cavity, so the majority of the bull was sticking out. This guy's commander grabbed pliers, pulled the damn bullet out, then threw vodka in there, and he put his helmet back on and went right back to it. Dude, and are you was- kidding me? And th- this was in Russia. It was in Russia, dude. It was yeah, in a cave. Like someone with a sniper. It was a sniper. Dude, it hit the guy's helmet. Yeah, like it stuck halfway in and out. Of the <laughs> like, how does that and, happen? Like, they pulled it out with the heat. Like, the guy grabbed yeah. it, pulled it out, threw vodka on it, put his hat back on, dude, and just went back nuts. to work. Bro. That like, is insane. Are you serious? Like no. That's insane. But, yeah, so, I yeah. know we got kind of. Uh, just like, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Uh, if you're American, don't get in a fight with a Russian. And I'm not hand hand combat, so. anyways. Hey, use our technology, guys. We got it. So, yeah, and we love you guys from Russia out there. So, wow, we, we love, love everyone, honestly. Yeah. We're glad yeah. you tuned in. And uh, no, we were just saying how much more. And, and trying to, like, <laughs> really trying to make a comparison, like Westeros and Essos, to like. Like you know, not as technologically developed countries. Basically. Exactly. You know, so yeah. So in the end, you would choose technology over brawn is the answer. Right. There. Yeah. Technology absolutely. over skill. Technology over brawn. Gold and soldiers win wars. Yeah. That's, guess, that's uh, what they say back uh, back then. So that's I mean, what the Lannisters are built off of. Yeah. Just like Casterly Rock that will go in later. I mean, they're all about money, which is why they're in. They're in power right now at this moment. Yeah, and yeah. you know, actually, part of their power too it comes from the treachery that Bruce Bolton pulled last uh, season with the Red Wedding. And the reason I bring up Bruce Bolton is because he returns to the Dreadfort, and uh, he want, like, he kind of chastises Ramsay a bit about kind of making Theon his plaything because what he wanted to do is he wanted to trade Theon for ransom to take Mo Kalen back because he he used the words like I had to smuggle myself into my own lands. So he's kind of very, very frustrated. He's like, I put too much trust in you. Like, he's talking down to Ramsey, and Ramsey, like, off the top of his head, like we were talking about, he comes up with this uh, idea. He's like, okay, great. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you how valuable I've made Theon. So he, like, as he's shaving him, he's talking about how his dad put, like, a sword through, or uh, a knife through Rob Stark's heart. And he's like, hey, uh, Reek, tell my father um, if you, like, how you killed uh, Brandon Recon. He's like, I didn't. They were just two farm boys. Yeah. They're still alive. So now he's got this valuable information, and he sends you know the guy who took Jamie Lannister's hand, Locke. He sends him out to to Winterf- uh, not Winterf- I'm sorry, the uh, Castle Black, to find and kill Jon Snow, and to take Recon and Bran Stark hostage because like that that in their mind it was like an illogical process, even though Bran and Jojen and Mira and Hodor were on the way to find the, the Three Eyed Raven. Like logically, you would just think. They're going to be at Castle Black with their brothers, so they send Locke there to um, kind of infiltrate the Night's Watch and 
and um, do them dirty in a way. So yeah. that I think that was really important. Also, um, <laughs> this kind of this kind of sets in motion uh, <clears throat> what happens like the big kind of cli- not the big climax. I think the big climax is when we talk about the viper in the mountain. But the the mini climax to this like on trial, which we'll get into in a second. Tyrion sends Shay away, and she doesn't really get it at first. So Tyrion, he has to kind of be mean-spirited about it for her to finally understand, like, this is over, you gotta leave. He said, you know, I have a wife now. Uh, you know, you're you're not fit to bear my children. You're a whore. Like, literally throwing, like, you know, just shaming her because she won't leave otherwise. And it really comes back to bite him in the ass. It does. And it uh, you really feel for Tyrion here. Because, you know, it's like the one girl he's actually loved this entire time, and he's forcing to throw her away. Almost like if you know... Ooh. Ooh, that's a good thing that you just brought yeah. up, bro. I don't mean to interject here, but now you just mentioned that difference between the book and the, and the TV series, when Jamie goes visit Tyrion in the, the dungeon thing, in the books they talk about how Taisha was actually the, the first whore that, whore that um, Tyrion married... She wasn't actually a whore. Yeah, she mm-hmm. wasn't. Like, like they, that's what the lie that they told him. But uh, Tyrion, or Tywin paid her enough to do those acts in front of him, just to shame him, just to shame Tyrion. Yeah, and it goes. So Tysha was actually never a whore. He never married a whore to start with. So this goes into another debate, which is why we have this show, it, um, which we're probably going to have to, you know. So we got a lot to get into, but it um, makes you wonder, right? So, as far as Tywin Lannister's point of view, because you know he's all about, all about, (laughs) I want to say family name, but also being the powerhouse and what's best for the house. Yep. Uh, Do you think all of that, as far as the whores, that you really think, you know, you kind of grow with Tyrion here and you realize he's developing emotions for them and he, he really cares for them honestly um I, I mean who hasn't loved Tyrion since the start Tyrion's yeah. always been witty funny lovable he always had a good conscience as far as Lannisters go yeah which uh so here's my question here right okay Tywin okay do you think he is doing all this to Tyrion to shame him or because he wants what's best for the house so everyone's betrothed to the right people which goes into our last episode that we talked about. Remember, speak no more your birthright. And he was telling Cersei, you know, and you will marry this person and you will speak no more of this. So it, it makes you wonder, is he doing it to shame Tyrion? Or is he trying to put his house first over everything? Which then goes into, uh, you know, it's <laughs> what's going to happen later on. Um, I think- Which is a nice day. <laughs> I think it's uh, a little bit of both. The reason why I say both is because... Well, which happened previously. It's a nice day for a red wedding. Right. Yeah. But uh, why I say both to that answer, or to that question, is... Here, here's the thing. Remember when... Not to jump too far ahead, but Tyrion and Tywin have a monologue a little bit later on. And basically, he Tyrion mentions that you've wanted me dead, you know, since the beginning, and... Tywin admitted, yes, I have, but you wouldn't die. Meaning, like, so, 
I'm, in my mind, like, he doesn't want what's best for the... He does want what's best for the house, but he wants what's best for the house, excluding Tyrion. Like, he's been ashamed since, like, you know, Tyrion came out of the womb, that he's had a dwarf son, but because he couldn't prove that he wasn't a Lannister, he's had to basically, you know, put up with, like, the, the shame of having a dwarf child... Uh, who killed his wife, who he can, you know, basically, all his eggs are in Jamie Lannister's basket to continue the line, right? And so, Tyrion is like an abomination to him. So I think he does it to shame Tyrion. And, but I also think that he does need good matches and betrothals to further the line as well. So I think his first... His first prerogative is... I'm going to make Tyrion's life... Like, he, I almost think he wanted to push Tyrion to kill himself, kind of. Well, I think I he, mean, he wanted to make his life living hell, but he also wanted to do it in a way that whatever Tyrion would do or could do would benefit House Lannister. So, well, I mean, that, both. that makes sense, and you can back it up with facts, because remember later on that we'll talk about uh, during the trial that happens, Tywin says... You know, if it was, well, I guess he said it a little bit before, but he said if it was up to me, he would have been killed at birth. <laughs> thrown onto the sea. Yeah, yeah, thrown out into the sea. So, I mean, it makes you wonder, I guess my answer for that would be, well, I got to side with Tywin, man, because I don't think he's as, I do think he's ruthless. I don't think he is as harsh as everyone makes it seem, um, because he still kept him alive. I don't think he intentionally, all that intentionally, as far as putting him down and all that stuff, that was Joffrey just trying to be a tool the entire time. I don't know. He said it himself. He said, you wanted me dead since the moment I was born. He said, yes, I had. <laughs> like, but that was all Tyrion so, saying that. No, which I think he probably... <laughs> well, I mean... Tyrion said, said that to Tywin. Tywin's like, yeah, I did have. And he, he has tried to kill him. Remember he sent him to the Vanguard back in Season 1 when they like the Northerners attacked Tywin's camp with only 2,000 men, but they actually did the rendezvous and took Jamie Lannister captive? Like, he put Tyrion in the Vanguard, which if you guys don't know what the Vanguard is, it's the front lines. Right. And, like, you don't put like, someone of a prominent house in the front lines. Like, that means that you really want... Like, that's why he's like, you know, if, they, if you want me to die, there's much other different ways to do it than send me in the vanguard. Yeah. So, I don't... I disagree. I think that Ty, Tywin is more ruthless than I think people understand. He gets everything he wants. He was willing to throw away his relationship with the Tyrells by sentencing uh, Loras to be a king's guard so that way he, Loras wouldn't marry Sansa so he can keep his hold on the north too like like no that guy that guy is a he is a calculative genius who only cares about his family and his house he is as cold and as ruthless as advertised because you remember Olena she says it herself like there's not many people I meet who live up to the reputation when she broke his quill when he was trying to pretending to sign the order that Loras is going to be king's guard yeah I mean, he, he's a genius. <laughs> yeah, definitely is a genius, uh, just based on what he said. <laughs> Let them learn not to march on the South. <laughs> um, but you got to remember, the Lannisters are all about family. So it makes you wonder if he really does actually feel that way, based on quotes we find out later on. But we'll continue that later.
So. The thing is that he's about family for himself. He doesn't care about what the wants of his children are. Like Cersei, he was going to marry her off to Loras, and she didn't want that. He married Tyrion off to Sansa. He she, he didn't want that. Like he didn't care what they wanted. He didn't do it best. Like what's in the best interest of his children. He he did what he thought was right for the family in his mind. Like okay, I'm going to get my way. I don't yeah. care what it does to you guys. Like, you've shamed this house for too long. He said that to both of them. Right. Like you know what I mean. So it's, it's basically Tywin's way or the highway. Yeah, Tywin's way or the highway. But, um, but I mean, which is a good thing if you're king. Well, at least have a lot of time on him. And <laughs> yeah. one thing we have neglected is um, Bran Stark with uh, Jojen and Mira. Um, you know. He start and this is it actually is really important because in the books it kind of goes in deeper than what we see in this little quick flash. But Brandon has this kind of issue with escaping his uh, condition, being a cripple, by warging into his wolf and joining his wolf on hunts and running and, and jumping and being free. And in the books, it, it's kind of like a repetitive thing where we kind of just see it in a small snapshot here, but. Jojen and Mira basically tell him, like, you know, there's a reason why, you know, you're, you're a human and not a wolf. Like, you keep doing this, you're going to lose what it means to be a person. Like, we know it must feel amazing and liberating being able to, you know, do all these things that you can do being a cripple. But, you know, if you keep staying in this wolf too long, you're going to lose what it means to be a human. And, like, we need you. Yeah. So, I think that's really important uh, because, obviously, of what Bran ends up becoming later on. Um, and also, that's around the same time, like where the Three-Eyed Raven actually comes to Bran in a dream in the Godswood and tells him where to go. Right. Which, to your point, you were talking about the foreshadow in that little vision. Talk to him a little bit about that. Yeah. So let me uh, take a little step back to my minotas here. <laughs> um, let's see here. Well, that was you know you were talking about the shadow over the city, right? Oh yeah. So what was pretty awesome about the shadow over the city there? Uh, this is very much foreshadowed, and, and me and Josh talk about this all the time. Just based on this here, so Bran kind of wargs. Well, he was just in a, well, he had a green dream. He had a green dream. Yeah, a green dream. Yeah. That's right. And uh, you see the city, and then you see the shadow of the dragon mm. going over it. And this is all foreshadowing, because what happens in the very end, we're not going to exactly oh, say the end, but, you know, this. The dragon goes over the city, and it's a very let's just say everyone it's an has exact a exact model of King's Landing. Like, it, yeah. like, the, like it, it, it looks almost like the title sequence in the TV series. That little, um, like, mm -hmm. the, like you know how it comes over that. It looks just it's, like it. It's a hundred percent, you know, a full blown model of King's Landing. So we always say, and we stick to this, disagree all you want. The intention from the beginning for Daenerys was that she was she was going to be the Mad Queen. Which I didn't uh, pick this up until I, I focused later on, but just look at the DVD case of that shadow and think about where that comes from. Because a lot of people think of, oh, you know, that's me. That's just because there's a dragon in the show. No, it's coming from that green dream. Right, because, um, you know, it's, it's funny you say that, because in that, in that case, you know, the books line up with the series for the most point, um, there's three swords. You right. can see the storm of swords, right? Which is funny because we always right. talk the symbolism of three. Right, so the, the storm of swords it has like the three swords on, on the cover and then it has a dragon in the background. So like, you can't just say because it has a dragon in there because you, you, you see the, the, the swords. Right. Right, so no, I'm with you. I don't know if the, the cover itself was a, a symbolism of what's to come. 
I definitely believe the dream itself was. Yeah, I think it was. And and, and, and even later on, we'll really get into this later, uh, when Jorah ends up having a discussion with Danny about what she decides she thinks she needs to do uh, to the to the masters of uh, Yunkai and Astapor. Um, you know, that really kind of even pushes it even further. So, yeah, it definitely um, does. I, I'm, we've been on this uh, bandwagon from the beginning. Yeah. You guys weren't paying attention if you think that they just threw that in there. Um, to ruin the entire arc. It, it was never like that. It was always meant to be. Always meant to be. Yeah, always. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, going into the next episode here. What do we got? Oh, not even the next episode, because we're still in heaven. <laughs> it's so funny, we're still in oh, episode yeah, two, right? Just, so, yeah. um, Marjorie and Joffrey get married. Uh, Joffrey takes his time, humiliates Tyrion in front of the entire, uh, like, whoever's invited to the wedding, you know, like the 17-course meal, outrageous, 77-course meal, something outrageous like that. Um, this entire time, just, you know, pouring the wine over his head, cutting the gift with his sword. So, you know, Talon presents the Valyrian Seal sword to Joffrey. Joffrey cuts the, the book that Tyrion gave him as a gift. Um, you know, just, Joffrey's just, you know, ragging on Tyrion this entire time and like and shames him into being his cupbearer and he's like oh you know it'd be an honor to serve he's like it's not meant as an he's honor cup bear. yeah he's, he's like, a, like it's yeah. not meant to be an honor like like really being disrespectful outwardly so other people are seeing this and you know um, he ends up taking sips of the wine eating the pigeon pie and he starts choking and uh, we have what's called the purple wedding uh, because King Joffrey Baratheon is now dead. Nice day for a purple wedding. Purple <laughs> wedding. Um, but one thing, as far as even the wedding scene, if you remember, he takes out that sword and they have like a case of doves there. Remember, he's like chopping the sword on it just to be a complete tool. Uh, and he like chops one Kills of the, one the doves. Pigeons, yeah. Yeah, so it's <laughs> almost it's like. Pigeon pie. So yeah, pigeon, pigeon pie. Um, so it's almost like, it seems like symbolism, like, I mean, of just, <laughs> I guess you can interpret it as like killing, <laughs> killing happy things. <laughs> like the guy that kills the dead puppies and you're like, okay, just fucking kill this guy off. He's sick fuck. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it, one thing about this whole scene when he starts choking, Remember right before, I gotta say, I think his name's, I was trying to look up his name Which earlier, one? the actor, Jake, Jake Greenless, I think his name is, uh, but it's really funny to see him in this role, because everyone I've heard from, even watching interviews with DBY spinning off, they all said they were actually really sad to see him go on the set, because he was like the nicest guy out of all of them, and I've heard him in, in interviews. Apparently they said he's almost like a stoner. Like he's like a really nice guy. So you hate to see him go. So it's funny to see him in that role. But one thing he does that really makes you like hate him at the point of like just almost like if you're a parent, which I'm not a parent, but I know just because when I was a child, right. <laughs> um, my parents probably were like, "Wow, yeah, he's being a brat." You almost feel him of Joffrey being a complete brat, and you're like, "Okay, oh, he's he is. go." Remember when he's like, "Kneel, yeah, <laughs> kneel, screaming, kneel." <laughs> no, he and then they pull him away. It's the same thing. And like back to last episode that we did, you know, Tywin puts him to bed. He's like, "I'm not yeah. tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired." It's like, like a kid in a Toys R Us. He's legitimately <laughs> yeah. like a brat who's used to getting his own way. Like yeah. so. 
Um, in the no, words of, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Who's the guy that played with Owen Wilson on Wedding Crashers? Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. In the words of Vince Vaughn, it's like a toddler at Toys R Us. I it's can't like be around a toddler it. I can't be around it. <laughs> so I, I think we were all very, very happy that um, Joffrey dies. So guys, what's really interesting, I wanted to bring this up in the books. There is exactly 100 pages between Rob Stark's death at the Red Wedding to Joffrey's death at the Purple Wedding. So it's in the same book where, you know, it's a past season in the series to, you know, episode two of, of um, this new, uh, the new ser- the new season. Uh, for season four, but uh, yeah, he dies in Storm of Swords. So I thought it was pretty cool. Exactly 100 pages between the two deaths. Um, Which let's talk about that yeah. a little bit. It was a little bit different. I will say this is one thing I thought the show did really well on because it was almost like violent the way he died in the show versus yeah, you, the. You books, see at the very man. end, like what it showed his face, like his eyes, like one was up, one was down. It was really, really strange, like. Yeah, like he had choked, and like like pupils were blown and dilated in his eyes. One was up and one was down. It was weird. Like not the eyelids, the actual like pupil. Like you could, it was it yeah, was, gross. It was like it was creepy. Was it mucus out his eyes? There was blood. some blood. Was yeah, blood. and there was another thing too. So I didn't. I had to go back and rewatch it and even do research because I I wasn't sure if it was actually true because someone told me this. Uh, and I watch it, it's true, but you gotta pay attention really close. There's actually bloody claw marks on his neck where he's, like, grabbing it, where in the books, like, none of that really goes no, down. No, in the books, there. it's the exact opposite. In the books, like, you see that, they depict that. He says, says it digs his nail, his nails into his his um, neck, like, and into his flesh. Yeah. yeah. So, in, in the books, it kind of, like, I didn't, you don't notice it very much in the TV series, where in the books, it really talks about how, he, like, he was clawing so hard at his neck that he was leaving gash marks with his fingernails. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, this is where you really see, um, which, uh, DB Wise and, and Benningoff talk about it on the after part of the episode in the show. Um, but you really see, I mean, it's really actually later in the series where you start to kind of feel bad for Cersei, but, you kind of see Cersei's almost like human-like at this point. Like all she's caring about is her son, and she's like, "Someone help my son here." Well, that's her. That's her whole, her whole character arc is like she is a manip- manipulative, psychotic like bitch. Except when it comes to her children. Remember what Tyrion said in his cell. He's like, "Like Cersei is the only one I have absolute faith that she did not do anything." in terms of his murder, which makes it unique in King's Landing murders, because she's usually involved yeah. in killing a lot of people. Like, it's always affected how much she loves her children. And then season one with Ned Stark, like, he says, uh, she asked him, do you love your children? He said, love my heart. And she said, no more than I love mine. Right. So her whole, you know, persona is she will do anything for her kids. Like, her kids right. are her whole life, no matter how bad they are, no matter, like, you know, even after Joffrey died, what she'd tell Marjorie, the things that Joffrey did shocked me, but you never love, your, you know, and quite anything quite like your firstborn. So, it kind of like, you know, because how many times did Joffrey shame Cersei? Call her old, yeah. call her, you know, like, you know, like, saying, like, we were never in danger. Oh, all the time. Like, just, like, all the time. dragging her, like, you know, threatened her because, like, she hit him once. He's like, that's the last time you'll do that. Like, legit made her look stupid, humiliated his own mother, and she still stuck by his side and was a wreck when he died. And so, yeah. so that that's a little bit of Cersei's characterization is that, you know, say what you want, she loves her children right. to death. 
Which, it, it, in the books, is a little bit different. Like, a lot of people actually leave the scene in the books as it's happening. Like, they're fleeing. Like, it describes them as leaving. Whereas in the show, which I think they actually... I like the way they did this, because it almost gives a little bit of foreshadowing. Like, <laughs> I don't want to say, like, spelt it, dealt it kind of thing. Because, of course, you have Olenia... That's mm-hmm. like, help your king! Help your king! Yeah. He's on the ground there, and it's... Um, and then, of course, who you have that's holding the cup, like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And he's staring at him as his hand is literally trembling, which was almost the exact description in the book, word for word. He said he felt, in the, in the books, like, he felt a strange calm knowing that he was gonna, like, that uh, Joffrey was gonna die. And Joffrey... Like pointed his like finger and like like his hand towards Tyrion, like in the book. That didn't happen in the TV series. Which here's a question: Do you think in the book George was really trying to describe? Because in the show they made it almost seem like he was more pointing at Tyrion to accuse him of doing it. In the book, do you think he was more? We well, didn't do it in the TV series. He didn't point towards Tyrion in the, in the right, show. right. Do you think he's more... The question is, do you think he's really doing that to ask for help? Or do you think, in Joffrey's point of view, as he's dying, he's really trying to tell everyone he's accusing Tyrion of killing him? I don't know. That's That's a a good question. question. Yeah. That's a great question. Because, like, you know, just based on where he was positioned, at least what we were able to see in the TV series, he was positioned in that very awkward area where, you know, if he did raise his hand, it was in Tyrion's direction, but, like, I couldn't tell you if it was more of an accusatory point. I was like, like, help, like, I, you know. But also at that time, too, people had already rushed over to him and talked. So, I don't know, maybe he, I think, I, you know, this is going to be my answer. I think that he was trying to accuse Tyrion because he was choking and Tyrion's the one that gave him the cup. See, when I took it, because when he is, like, holding, raising his hand, it almost curls for, like, a second, right? You're sitting there wondering if it's because, remember, Cersei's over him holding him, almost like if he's becoming like a child at that point. Like, Mom, help me. Because in if you go back through the entire series, even if you go to the Battle of Blackwater, he tried to run home to his mom. So it makes well, you his, wonder. Well, his mom re- like requested his presence. Yeah, you know? but and he was go dying to like, go there. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, did, because I remember when Lancel came out, and he's like, well, did my mother say it was urgent? And he's like, she did not, your grace. He, like, kind of hesitated for a second. He should stay out there, and then he decides to go back into to the chambers. But, um, you know, that that's that's a big part. But, you know, just, just given all that, jumping into episode three, now... Tommen becomes king, which is kind of a good thing for everybody because Tommen is more ill, you know, more um, even keeled temperament. Uh, you know, he's not cruel. Um, you know, also, can we? I know we've mentioned a couple times. I always like to bring it up again. The actor changes really, really mess with you a little bit because, guys, the, the actor who plays Tommen Baratheon was actually killed in uh, season three as Martin Lannister. Like, you can tell me you couldn't find anybody else on Baratheon's role except someone you already killed off earlier. I don't know. Um, but either way, he becomes king. And now what's really interesting is you see the difference of when you have someone there as guidance instead of just letting you have what you want. So she kind of let Joffrey have what he wanted, and he got used to that. Where Tywin, he explains, he, he tries to make 
uh, Tom and think, like, hey, what do you think makes a good king? And he goes through, you know, being religious, being just, being uh, X, Y, Z. Finally, it's wisdom that he comes to, like, yes, that's exactly it. So, he's, you know, Tommen is younger, and he's got more guidance than Joffrey did, where you wonder, like, hey, you know what, if Joffrey had the guidance and wasn't just given what he wanted because, you know, Robert Baratheon didn't want nothing to do with him, and Cersei was just spoiling her child, you know, what could it, like, would, would Joffrey have actually been as bad as he was? Was that just, a, like, a full-blown character flaw in himself, like he was just that naturally evil and sadistic, or was it because, you know, his father never had time for him, his mother gave him everything he wanted, so he felt titled, where Tom and Tywin immediately stepped in and was like, listen, we're going to teach you some stuff here, right, so I, I think yeah. that had a lot to do with it too. Which, uh, there was, I think we forget, I mean, here's how messed up Joffrey was, like, we know he was a dick. But he was still pretty sick, too. Remember when he was about to get sent to bed? Like, he did get sent to bed by Tywin. And he didn't want to go to bed. Well, what whole sparked this whole damn thing was he got into an argument with Tyrion because he said, send me Rob Stark's head. I'm going to send it to Sansa. I will have it put it on her dinner plate in my wedding. I'm going to serve it to her on my wedding. And he said, she's not, she's not yours. She's not your sister, man. She's not your sister, man. I am king. Everybody is my sister. <laughs> like, he's like a dick. It's like he's not intellectual. But he's, he's got no sense of intellectual. Yeah, no sense of intellectual. He's just really like a complete tool. That's really messed up. He's a that is child that used to getting what he wants. Because, like, yeah. he's so delusional. Remember when, like, it, the Battle of Blackwater Bay? He's like, I'm going to give my Uncle Stannis a smile. A red smile. Like, in his mind, he was so delusional, he thought he could defeat Stannis in single combat sword play one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. When, when have you ever... In the books, it shows uh, Joffrey, like, did some um, some sword work or whatever. Um, but, like, really, you're going to you're gonna beat a seasoned veteran in his prime. Yeah. Stannis Brathen, who's known as a warrior... Yeah. Like yeah, you're gonna you're gonna do something real big, Joffrey. Okay, he's so delusional, man. Oh yeah, he was a spoiled kid that got everything he wanted. His dad couldn't have any less time for him. Like that, that's mm -hmm. exactly what his downfall was. He just he thought he could do whatever he wanted because he had the title of king. Yeah, I mean that's what it was. Which is funny the way he's describing in the books because remember he has those long like blonde curls mm -hmm. in the book with the long hair. Almost looks like someone that's like been pampered to the point he's, like, putting on women's clothes. He's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was a very interesting depiction there. You know, he's not, like, brawny. He hasn't really trained much in the military. He's just like you said. He's been given everything he wants. Yeah. And he's a spoiled brat is what it comes down to. And talking about Stannis, too, uh, you know, now we kind of jump to where Stannis is. Because it's been a long time since we kind of even brought him up. Which he plays a major role here later on in Season 4. But him and Davos are on Dragonstone and they talk about Joffrey's death. And talk about, hey, <clears throat> we need to press our claim now. It's now that the, like all the Seven Kings are in disarray because you know Joffrey, who was you know kind of widely recognized as the King of Westeros, is now dead. This is our time. Yeah, which, by the way, I, I have his name written down. Jack Gleason. So Jack Gleason did an awesome job. The guy who portrayed Joffrey. Um, very. Could you imagine being like that <laughs> sick when really like everyone knows you as like the nice guy? Yeah, like that's pretty funny. I mean, same thing with Cersei. There, there's people yeah. who like did not want to meet her at Comic Con because they thought she was a bitch because mm -hmm. of how well she played her role. Mm -hmm. They're great actors. Or here's a funny example. 
So everyone knows Bradley Cooper. You know, he played Rocket, like we talked about in our first episode of the MCU. Played a lot of roles. He's in, <laughs> well, he did that first role, which is funny. We were talking about Wedding Crashers. See, almost like I planned it at this point, right? <laughs> Circling background. But he said that one quote that said, Claire, get your effing ass on that altar. <laughs> and ever since that, he said, like, everyone that sees him in public sees him as, like, a complete asshole. Like, a complete ass. And if you go Think into, like, that, A Star is Born, like, he's, like, the nice guy. Think about that. Like, you you have such a commitment to your role that people think that is your personality. <laughs> yeah. That is the difference between, like, good actors and great actors. Oh, no, it really is. So, I mean, I thought they, they did a great job because I, I, I found myself hating both Cersei and yeah. Joffrey. Cersei uh, more so, but... Could you imagine, like, <laughs> like in the story, you'd be like... And, and, you know, you see, like, someone really famous. Of course, you're like, oh, man, that'd be cool. Go get a picture with him. And then you, like, see him, and you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to walk out. <laughs> Actually, uh, how about you, uh, you know, I know I'm over here trying to get some milk, but I guess I'll drink water for the rest of the week. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and check out. Um, but, yeah, okay, so this kind of brings us into, which, by the way, Peter Dinklage. You know, the stuff, the monologues we get to hear him say in the scene. Well, yeah, are on for sure. Yeah. Uh, but actually, talk about the trial. Now you mention it. I didn't yeah. want to bring this up real quick. So especially since we talked about Tywin and how calculated he is with his moves, he actually goes to Oberyn, the Viper, yeah. and, he, and he asks Oberyn to be a judge at Tyrion's trial, mm -hmm. knowing that Oberyn wants to kill the entire Lancer family for <laughs> For Ellie, his sister Elia's uh, murder, you know, starting, he wants to kill the mountain because Mountain is the one who actually performed it, but he thinks that Tywin gave the orders. Yep. So, which I think this is a good time to bring this up real quick, actually. So, which means he must have had a lot of respect for Oberyn. Which oh, for I, sure. Yeah. Which Oberyn, as a lot of people might not know, you know, he's the Prince of Dorne. So, in the books, it goes into a lot of detail of what the badass he really is. Like, he's kind of like. Which is really funny. He's described almost like Cerberus Snape kind of thing. Um, which you found him another way. But I, you thought of him as another way. But I thought of him almost like Cerberus Snape. But he's kind of, which is funny because Cerberus Snape like is an expert in the dark arts and he's an expert in the poison. So yeah, the, what I when, when we talk about you know Severus and Oberyn's like correlation, they had a similar qualities of like physical appearance, and I guess you want to like make the connection between being a potions master and being a poison master. I get it. But Severus was never an out... I mean, I'm sorry. Oberyn was never an <laughs> yeah. outwardly like, angry person. He was very, okay, was very reserved. Yes. Very kind of yeah. like a dick to everybody that wasn't in the Slytherin house. Oberyn was like joyous. He was so arrogant. Kind of, like, he was. Honestly, yeah, okay, you know I what? agree with you. He, was, I agree he with you, reminded yeah. me of Sirius Black that looked like Severus Snape. That's exactly <laughs> like, what it was. He was very yeah. like Sirius yeah. Black, like, I am the badass, I don't care what y'all say, yeah. you or think, I'm the man. Exactly. Which I want to bring this up, too, because a lot of people don't know. Yes, he's very quick. So a lot of people think he's called the Viper because he's quick. A lot of people don't know he was actually called the Viper because he looked almost like a snake. Yeah. Like, that's, uh, on top of that, not only because he was quick and because he had like the, the appearance of that, but also because he was a master of poisons and you know Viper yeah. venom is, is toxic mm -hmm. and you know, deadly. So I'll go into this real quick, uh, just so people kind of get an idea of how Oberyn is. So think of Oberyn almost as 
You know, he's that college fraternity guy that'll slay anything that walks, right? Which I hate <laughs> to say that, but it's true. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to this party. Anything that pleases Like, you're literally sitting on his throne, like, almost like the cool guy that everyone knows because he's, like, a, a star, right? So he's, like, on the, almost like, here's the best way. You know the movie Van Wilder? Love Van Wilder. Make, um, what's his name? The guy that plays Deadpool, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, okay. Make Ryan Reynolds look like a snake with a lot of military skill, and then you have Oberyn in the book. Um, but here you go. Hear me out on this, right? But he's so, like, then, you know, he does have that whole sexual thing where he thinks literally he's having sex with everybody. Even, like, you know, the bisexual thing came up in the show and stuff. Well, his, his exact words were, like, I, you know, he was talking to Oliver, the, you know, the uh, person kind of running the brothel now that Littlefinger's gone. He's like, I'm very expensive. He's like, but the biggest thing that, like, his words were, I see this, it pleases me. I see you, it pleases me. Some people only, like, you know, why, why miss out on half of the world's pleasure? Right. You know, like, that was his thing. Like, he didn't care, like, you know, if, what, what he saw, he wanted, yeah. he, he did. And he's like, <clears throat> he was giving him that whole monologue about, you know, before you're old and your belly grows soft, make sure you, you know, have in, you're, it's enough sex to your fill before then. And uh, Well, that goes into my favorite quote by yeah. him, when he says, uh, big doesn't matter if you're, uh, what does he say? Big doesn't oh, matter. Oh, that was when he was talking to Tyrion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to talk to Tyrion which is great. When he, you know, later on. But which I read yeah. that out later. <laughs> but real quick, here's a, it, which is really funny, and we talk about the MCU on the show, which now they have Fox, right? Because I will compare him almost to, which is funny, I just thought of this, Man Wilder and Deadpool. Because he has the skill of almost Deadpool, but he's like Van Wilder, right? Because, and keep in mind, too, remember in Van Wilder, how his dad, like, kept paying for school this time? Because he was, like, super, he was an intellectual person. Like, they thought he was going to be a very intellectual person. That's, and the Prince of Dorne, the Viper Oberon, was. He actually trained to become a maester. Like, you would never think of this guy as a maester at all, like Sam Tarly. Like, why would he ever want to do that? He actually studied to study potions. Poisons. Uh, poisons, sorry, that's where the server snake thing comes <laughs> Poisons for the longest time, which in the books you see, you know, he basically gets bored with that as far as his history goes. And he, his love for adventure takes over. Yeah, and he's a very well, think about some cocky, of the stuff curious... He's done. He fights in the slave pits and, and yeah. like in like the foreign lands. He he studies potion master. He, he has sex with you know whatever he thinks. Like complete like, badass man, complete badass. The epitome of like I'll do what I want when I want and I don't give a shit. Oh yeah, and he and he's respected by everybody. everybody. Complete respect. And here's the other thing too is you really see how like because how smart he is. Like a, a genius, he uses those poisons on his weapons. Yeah. And where he uses his intellectual skill, just like about the mountain, you know, he said, the big doesn't matter if you're lying flat on your back. <laughs> Which, that can be taken two different ways. But that goes into his whole personality. He's a genius. He was actually training to hit him in certain places, and we'll go into that later, to actually take his enemies down. Which goes into this. A lot of people don't know. He was so skilled in fighting when he got curious. He actually traveled over to Essos when he was, uh, I guess, uh, it says youth when I was researching it, but I guess like in his 20s, I would say. 
Um, and he actually served under the Second Sons. So we always talk about Dario Naharis. He was their Dario Naharis back in the day. He was their Achilles. And think about all he did. He was more powerful than that. Because he made it all the way out of that because he had the intellectual. You take what we were talking about. You take the Prince of Dorne versus Jamie. I'm taking the Prince of Dorne all day because he's got both sides. Yeah. In my opinion. Now, it, it, then it says, on top of that, then he actually fought off the Unsullied for a period of time. He was so impressive on the battlefield, <clears throat> but a lot of people didn't really like him because he had a reputation in the bedroom. I'm going to go ahead and interject here for a second because there's a funny, that's a funny quote that he made um, about the Unsullied because they were talking about that in the small council meeting. The Unsullied, very impressive on the battlefield. Not so much in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So it's so, yeah. it, it really goes to show his experience. I didn't even know this either because everyone talks about the fighting pits. There's nothing he has no experiences. He spent five years in the fighting pits in Marine because it was fun. It was fun. Didn't have to go there at all. Literally volunteered and says, I'd be happy to yeah. kick their ass just because I have nothing else to do. Not ass, kill them. Literally, Dad. It was, it, was battle, it was fight to the death. Like It's not just like kick their yeah, ass. I gotta like, shit. I'm going to put my life on the line because I'm bored. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, literally, Dad. <laughs> Dad has a shitload of money, wants to send you to all these high-end schools, everyone in King's Landing loves you, you have the military experience, and you're sitting here, this answers your question earlier, right? This answers your question. As far as money and military skill, you always have to choose that first, because they, if they're like this guy, obviously they can have a guy that's even better than all of them. Because the Prince of Dorne... He volunteered for fun to kick their ass because he knew how to beat them because he was trained that way. On the flip side, though, especially when we get on into what happens at the second to last episode, he sometimes fighting without armor can... Which is true. <laughs> Which we'll talk right. about later on. But, uh, um, and then my last little point to him and his history, like, I feel like we didn't get enough of him in the show. Like, you no, start getting attached to him. Which he, that's people that didn't know, he gained a little weight later, but he's our, uh, one of our favorites and, uh, one of our favorite shows that's he's out right now. Mandalorian. Mandalorian. This is the way. This is the See, way. if only they had thrown that in a little bit, or, like, maybe they had started, like, pre-filming or something, <laughs> and then, like, at the very end, he was, like, like, as he's on the ground, before he confess, like, tells you to confess... This is the way. Yeah, <laughs> like, just right, throws right, it in. That would have been better. But, but, no, you're right. That, yeah. That's very important. And also, you know, kind of talking about his importance to, like, you know, how Tyrion's trial was going and him being a judge. Like, Podrick, Tyrion's, you know, state, like, his uh, squire, uh, visits Tyrion and basically tells him, hey, like, these people are offering me a knighthood to say that you, I gave you a um, um, potion called the Strangler. A yeah. poison called the strangler, and I, you know, I basically I told him, no, I'm not going to do that. And Tyrion's like, Podrick, like, like now that you did that, they couldn't tempt you with honey. They'll try something less sweet. You need to get yourself out of King's Landing. So um, I thought that was really important. Like it showed like, how much Tyrion cared about Podrick, how far their, their relationship has come. Because if you guys remember, Podrick's the one that saved Tyrion's life in the Battle of Blackwater Bay when he got right. slashed mm -hmm. by Sir Mandon Moore. Uh, Podrick put the spear through Sir Mandon Moore's face. So yeah. like. You know, he, he cares so much about this, you know, young boy who's, 
you know, shown nothing but loyalty to Tyrion, he sends him out of King's Landing. And yeah. it almost all comes for a full yeah. circle. Since we're talking about the Lannisters, um, just real quick here. Um, so, just to show you the respect of Oberon that the Lannisters have, which they don't have their respect for anybody. Mm. They thought of Danny and said, who gives a shit? She's right. just on her own right now. Kind of three dragons over somewhere else we don't care right now. This is how much respect Oberon had in the community. Tywin Lannister, Tywin Lannister, that's pulling all the strings here, said, quote, unquote, uh, he said he's, he's the one of the most intellectual and military skilled but also has been half mad. He's bloodthirsty and monstrous since youth, deadly, dangerous, rash, witty, and unpredictable. Like, what does that tell you? When Tywin Lannister is calling you insane, but also saying, like, he has mad respect for yeah. you? Like, that just goes to show he what they really He wanted an ally, because remember, like, he asked him to be a judge for Tyrion's trial. Like, he wanted, like, to bring him onto their side, and he, he denied his involvement of um, commanding the mountain to carry out the murders of Elia and the children. Yeah. You know, Tywin, you know... It almost gets, it makes you think of... What's funny? And I'm starting to look into the series now, that I bought, which we're going to do episodes on this later on, but, like, the Night Angel trilogy, it almost thinks of, like, their skill and what Oberon had. Like, he... And the Faceless he Men. Was, he was an know? assassin. He was Literally. a straight-up assassin. Um, you know, but to kind of to kind of finish yeah. out episode okay. three, kind of... Cause, because the, the Wildlings... You know, I know that we've kind of spent a lot of time in King's Landing, but back, you know, I told you that, that they were preparing for their battle. The Wildlings actually attack Ollie's village. They kill his family. Egret kills Ollie's dad with an arrow straight through his head. And it's kind of funny how that comes full circle later on during the actual battle for Castle Black. Right. Um, but the John at that point realizes, listen, like, we need to kill the mutineers that are still Crasser's keep. And Alice Thorne's like, we've already talked about, like, avenging... You know, this, that, and the third. And John's like, it's not about that. Like, when I was taken captive from the Wildlings, I told them that we had a thousand men at Castle Black. If they get a hold of the mutineers at Craster's Keep, they know how many people we actually have, which is, mm -hmm. you know, a, just a little over a hundred. Right. How long do you think they're going to keep that information themselves when they're being tortured? Yeah. Right? So we need to kill them so that way they don't know that they can just hit us with full force and just overrun us the very first night. Yeah. You know, so, like, John's, John was so intelligent that... He he had to make Mansrader believe that you know they had enough people to hold them off, so he didn't throw their full force, and that's exactly what really kind of saved him through that night. That was super important, as we'll go into later. But um, you know, now that you know, especially we're, we're talking about these people who are really intelligent, you know, have done important things here. Darna Harris, you don't know much about what he's done other than fighting in the pits. You know, while this is going on over in Castle Black, and him trying to get the permission, Jon Snow trying to get the permission to um, get a group together and go kill the mutineers so Mance Raider still believes that there's enough of a force to hold off the Wilding Army. Daenerys over in Marine, like, she's, her whole reputation has preceded her. You see the people, the masters, and the slaves of Marine all watching out there. Marine sends out their champion, and, you know, he really disrespects her and pisses right, like, you know, in her direction. And so, 
Daenerys has to like kind of make a choice of who her champion is going to be, and everyone. This is you know. Let's talk about the people's devotion to Daenerys. Everyone asked for the honor to fight for her. She like you know the first person that asked was uh, Barriss and Selmy. He's like you know I've won more single combats than any man alive. Let me fight. Let me kill this man for you. Uh, or you know let me let me, let me be your champion. And she says well that's exactly why I need you near me. I can't risk your life. Yeah. Like um. Grey Room says, like, you know, uh, let me kill this man for you. And, and she goes, no, you're the commander of the cell, you're too important. Jorah says, you know, I, I've been your closest friend, you know, uh, let me go ahead and, and be your champion. And Daenerys is like, no, you are, you know, my, my strongest advisor, my closest and dearest friend, I'm not going to risk your life. Right. And so, like, you're going through all these people who just really devoted her and want to fight her. And then Darian Harris comes in all <laughs> He's like, listen, I come from nothing. And I've soon returned to nothing. I don't command the Unsullied. I'm not part of your Queen's Guard. Let me kill this man for you. And she gives him that little sly look like, you little sly dog. You know what? Go ahead. Go do your yeah. thing. And so he kind of like gets in that in that mode so he gets like all stand up. And this is one of my favorite quotes from this season. I love it. He's like kind of like, you know, squared up in a way, like way across the, the, um, the plains from the Marines champion. The Marines champion like gets on like his jousting stick onto his horse and Daenerys goes, Do you want a horse? And he says, Why would I want a horse? Because horses are faster than men. He looks at her, he goes, Horses are dumber than men. And that just was great. and she just Excellent line. <laughs> Excellent line. Yeah. It was so cool. And you almost feel though like, you know, I like this Dario. Like I like the other one better because he was more badass like Achilles. But he more has that, like, Suave, Enrique Suave, Enrique yeah. Iglesias in that <laughs> Right? Like, you feel like he's that Edward Cullen kind of character where he just sweeps in with his Robert Patterson effect and, like, fucks everyone up, right? <laughs> Excuse my language. But that's really kind of, like, what he does here. He's more relatable as far as giving that you know, that sex figure <laughs> as far as to appeal to women. Like, he's got that Fifty Shades you know aspect what, going you on. You know what he is, kind of? He's kind of a mixture between... Sex symbol, that's the word I'm looking he's for. He's kind of a mixture between Braun and Oberyn, but love for only Daenerys. Like, he's, he, yeah, he's he very, very, like, he's like a sell-sorted guy, but he's also got, like, the <laughs> smoothness and arrogance of... Oberyn with like this, you know, like, you know, not maybe not as much of the, the, the uh, poison knowledge and stuff, but also has like the ruthlessness of yeah. Bronn of like, I'm going to survive by any means because I've been surviving yeah. since the day I was born. He's you know a beautiful he's, mix between that. He's Jake Gyllenhaal if he was a pompous asshole. <laughs> and also like... <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal in what role? Uh, I would say, mm, uh, that's a great question because I was thinking of when he played like, uh, not the fighter, but Southpaw, but he would he, was more like about like his wife getting killed there. So if Jake Gyllenhaal, who's like, man, y'all are wondering where I'm going with this. I'm like, I planned it from the beginning. No, definitely not. Um, but Jake Gyllenhaal, I would say, and then, yeah, so we're going to, we'll do two more episodes and we have the second part, but, um, like, you know, he played that role in Prince of Persia. So I would say if Jake Gyllenhaal combined it with definitely not Achilles, uh, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Patterson mixed, which I know you you haven't seen the Twilight ones. Uh, yeah, Josh over here is always all, all over me, because I kind of like the Twilight. I'm not so much all over with that, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm trying to see <laughs> the, the correlation right. here. 
So if he, uh, I'm going somewhere with this. Here we go. Here we go. Right. Okay. If Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> did a Dragon Ball Z fusion ha <laughs> with Robert Patterson, and then Robert Patterson and Jake Gyllenhaal that were already fused together when fused over with Gerard Butler in 300. That's really who he is. That's so funny. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me. I think that's a lot of that's a lot of like kind of things. <laughs> left field put together. That <laughs> yeah. was a big left field. Yeah, no, totally. Um, what? How would you characterize him though? Who Darian Harris? Like I, I, I feel like it was a not like the new one compared to the old one. Like yeah. So the old one was he was almost like you would think of like a. It's He's kind of a Greek Fonzie. hero. Yeah. Kind of like a Greek hero, you know, like, yeah, very, very... Eric Bana. <laughs> Eric Bana. There you go. If it was Eric Bana mixed with Jake Gyllenhaal. That's, that's for it. The one. Uh, Eric Bana from Troy, I would yeah. say. Which oh, is well, yeah, 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 Hector. Hector. Hector of Troy. And you'll yeah. wander the earth blind, deaf, and dumb, and no one will know this is Hector. You're talking about... Thought he you're talking about the new Darian Harris. The new one, yeah. The old Darian Harris. The old Darian Harris, like, he reminds me of... Like the prototypical, like prototypical Hercules, Achilles, like yeah, Greek god, right. like, like you know, half man, half god, like things. He was, he like, was. Chiseled, had a great jawline, and like like the obviously like the hair was like, like, like he was like, bro, like we didn't was. see anything like we didn't see anything like him in in all of Game of Thrones. Like it was if Legolas had muscles, man. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> That's what like, he was, was yeah. with a sword instead of just a bow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, basically did everything yeah. that Legolas could not do. Like he was, he was a badass, you know, and. You know, I think we kind of got, I, we got, I thought he was we, we got good enough from Darren Harris, but I feel like if we had the same actor that portrayed him, um, from the very, very start, we would, I would have, he probably would have jumped to my top one, two or three characters for yeah. sure. Eric Bana, that's what I would say. So Hector, Hector and Hector, Prince Hector of Troy, yeah. I would say that's who he is. Like if you saw kind of like a backstory on Hector, cause he was so respected, um, and then was very skilled, like he was still a lot more skilled than... Speaking of your boy, was in that movie Legolas. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Orlando Bloom was in there. He played uh, Paris. Yeah. Um, what a dick Paris was. Yeah, I know. Right? So selfish. Yeah, but it's almost like they wanted to give you both sides. They're like, we want to show you Achilles, and we want to show you Hector, because we still want to bring the Troy aspect into it. But yeah, <laughs> so I thought yeah. I thought it appealed well. I thought he did really well. Yeah, it wasn't bad, and it was it was cool to see how he handled that. Um, that single combat because he threw his like his you know how, you'll, you guys will find out later in the series how um, important that little knife was to him he threw yeah. it through the sword the, through the um, horse's eye and then it uses the Arak which is a Duraki like hooked sword cuts off the guy's which head just pisses on his torso which is pretty cool pretty skilled through a knife through a horse's eye yeah coming at full speed at him I would say so uh, <laughs> yeah um, yeah and then you know it kind of you know, the episode 3 really ends with um, Daenerys uh, throwing, they having like the catapults throw the barrels of the broken chains uh, from the slaves that she freed in Yunkai and Astapor, and it really kind of ends with um, the slaves like opening, like they answer the barrel exploding against the wall, and all the chains go over. It has like one of the slaves like looking at the chains and it's broken. And like he's like looking at how like, and like this could be there. me, yeah. and then like the master looks down like fearful like okay like are we have to worry about our slaves actually yeah. mm -hmm. um, rebelling against us? So that's kind of where I think that we should leave off for this part, just because you know it, it, it's the end it's the end of episode three and it really kind of talks of you know brings us to a conclusion of now Danny is 
more likely than not going to take control of her third slave city. She's already freed the slaves in Yukai and Astapor. They beat the champion of Marine. So now we're kind of at that part where, like, is, is, you know, are we going to be able to get the slaves to do the hard work for us? Are we going to have another battle? Like, how is that going to go? But it's a really good place to leave to before we kind of jump into part two, where we're going to stay really on track <laughs> and talk more about yeah. um, what goes on through uh, episodes um, four through yeah, which I do want to say there is one thing we left out of episode three because it's kind of like a, uh, I guess a, a big moment part I guess uh, just because it's so people remember it so well because it's weird um, as far as what's the guy's name the Maginar the Maginar oh Finn. the Mag- Magna the Fen Magnar the Fen yeah so these guys that eat people. Ironically, he finds, uh, was it Ollie? Yeah, it was, was Ollie. It was Ollie. He was yeah. talking to Ollie. Ollie. He had shot the arrow through Ollie. <laughs> he said, so he's, yeah. <laughs> which is really sick. Disgusting. He see your mommy. So he says Papa, but I think he should have said Poppy because it would have been so much more funny because it like rhyme. So imagine if he said this, you see your mommy and your dead Poppy. I'm going to eat your mommy. And you're dead, Poppy. Well, his, his actual <laughs> words, they did rhyme. He said, he, uh, he's like, is, uh, you see your dead mama and you see your dead papa. Uh, I'm going to eat them. Go tell the crows at Castle Black. Yeah. So he said mama and papa. <laughs> Mommy uh, and Poppy. It, it was so, it, it was just like, I, those, those guys are one of the only, they disgust me. Like, the way they look, the bald heads with the scars on them. They, they truly, I, I Which I this really is a good debate to leave off with, right? As far as like, Jon Snow, because I think, I don't think Man's Raider was doing anything wrong. I think it would have been a great king, because all he was really doing was trying to get them over the wall, but it really almost makes you take a side for Jon, almost like they're trying to sway Jon, sway you to, looking from the outside, right, side with Jon in the show, because they're showing the Maginar that are, like, eating all these people like cannibals. Which, in the books, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't really recall them teaming up with them very much. No, the whole, all the while, yeah, they absolutely did. They climbed the wall together. Like, there, was a, there was a group of Fens, there was a group of, like, the cave folk. Like, that was the whole thing, the whole wilding army. They, there was giants, there was, like, the free folk, there was the Fens, there was the cave dwellers. Like, they, it was, there was a bunch of, you know, different species that all teamed up together. So, yeah, no, it was... A, very much so they all teamed up <laughs> so say you look on the outside whose side do you say because i'm, I'm kind of the same way like i'm more side with john because i don't want to see people eat people that's disgusting but as far as i take the side of man's raider these people deserve to be led on the other side of the wall they don't deserve to be sacked by the whites or the others i mean no i'm with you because the thing the whole thing is like especially when we get into what happens at the battle for Castle Black and afterwards, you know, the whole conversation they have together. Um, Mansfield never wanted to conquer anything. He didn't want to go into a Westeros uh, to, you know, take anything over. He's like, dude, like, we just happen to be on the wrong side of the wall. Like, you know, what gives you guys the right to hold us out and just, like, let us die out here? Like, all I'm trying to do is to have my people survive. Like, you know, so like, I'm, I'm trying to get through the wall so, you know, we don't get taken nowhere by this dead army and become part of their dead army, too. You know, so I see that. But then, you know, part of that is the fact that there are people 
who are accustomed to their own culture, like the Fens, who will, you know, the cannibalistic crew, like, you know, how can you justify bringing those into Westeros and putting everyone else at danger and risk? It's just, it, it's a tough, it's a tough call. So I get, I get why John did what he did, but I, I also see, you know, Mance Raider, he, he has the, the, really looking for like the best interest of his people at heart. He, is, he, he, he wants nothing as a king. Yeah. All he wants to do. I mean, you got, I honestly side with Mans Raider because I mean, you got to let these people, it's like, it's like today, right? There is good people and bad people in the world. There's people that do bad things, bad shit, and there's good people. But it doesn't mean you don't make everyone free just because people do bad shit. Like, you see what I'm saying? So I guess the whole idea is, right, um, which, funny, people are going to, like, read into this and be like, oh, maybe they're talking about Trump or something. Really not. We're actually talking about just fantasy at this point. But looking from an outside perspective... Um, you have to really let everyone go over the wall, no matter who's there, and then you're just going to have to defend on your own, because you can't make a decision for everybody unless you set up some sort of law, like, well, don't eat people, but they do that in other cultures. Here's, here's, at the end of the day, here's what it is. Like, Melisandre said it best, the war of the five kings means nothing, the war is the north against the living and the dead. You don't want to be part of the, you know... The dead army is coming for you. You don't want to... Number one, you don't want to die, obviously, but you don't want to become part of the dead army to kill the rest of the living. So, to prevent that, what's the best solution? We've got to get across this wall, because you guys remember, the wall has certain magic in it to where White Walkers cannot get through it. We, got, we see what happens in Season 7 on how they get through the wall and what they use to do it, but outside of that, if they didn't have what they had, and we won't, I won't talk about it right now, they, they couldn't have gotten through the wall because there there is a certain type of magic that's talked about that um, White Walkers cannot make contact and go through the wall. Perhaps. Which is why the wall was built. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm with it there. But, you know, guys, we, that, that's got to be it. we got to wrap this up here for um, our first part of this one. Uh, you know, so what I wanted, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, just, you know, obviously we always have to thank the audience. Uh, at the end of all of our shows, but guys, we've started to move into other countries too, and it, it's been fantastic. So um, I think we've, we've moved into Russia, we've moved into India on top of the other countries. That UK, Netherlands. Netherlands, that's another one. Netherlands, that's a big so, one. I mean, that was awesome. Outside of the ones that we've already had, we've moved into three new countries, you know, just in a week's time period. So it's, it's really, really impressive the fact that you guys really enjoy, but there's so many other fantasy fans out there that really enjoy listening to, you know, people's perspectives on maybe, you know, what they have opinions on, but they don't voice it. Like, listening to us, like, oh, I agree with that. Like, oh, like, you know, if you guys have got questions about anything or, like, you want to debate any of us about, you know, a certain topic, we've got so many outlets for you guys to do so because we want to interact more with the audience. Yeah. So, guys, we, we've got an Instagram page, Official Ridiculous Patronus. Uh, we've got a Facebook fan page, which is Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Uh, you can, if you want to go old school, we've got an email that you can send us. Email, email ridiculous questions. Patronus. Yeah, ridiculous 2020. Patronus, that's 2020 at gmail.com. Um, on top of that, we also, uh, we've got other social media as well. We've got the Snapchat 
which is a RP Factor Fantasy. We also have a TikTok um, that we're, we're working on as well to get some videos up Snapchat. there. Snapchat. Kind of like that. <laughs> That's what I'm you, Snapchat for the yeah. RP Factor Fantasy. <clears throat> um, but, and obviously we've got our podcast there as well. So, um, and on all the different, all the different forms, right? We've got iHeart Radio. We've got um, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Cast. <laughs> so, like, you know, we've got a lot of forms, and we're looking forward to getting more audience engagement. But the biggest thing that I, I you know, I think that we would like to see is more engagement on our YouTube page, just yeah. because you know, from there, right it makes YouTube. it a lot, it makes it a lot easier for us if we see comments on the YouTube page about, you know, having questions or anything of that nature so we can respond right to it right then and there. And so it's public for everyone else to see. So everyone else can chime in and put their own yeah. opinions and things of that nature too. So um, <clears throat> our YouTube page is Ridiculous Patronus as well. Uh, so, you know, thank you guys so much for the, the viewership that we have on the podcast side. We're looking forward to more engagement with the audience in the future. And, you know, give us a follow and, and a like and a subscribe on all of our platforms. Yeah, all of them. I mean, yeah, I mean, it really means a lot. I mean, a lot of people, you know, like we were talking about last time, they don't really think we notice this stuff. Uh, we really do. We see each in individual countries. I mean, we have people that reach out to us all the time, and it, it really means a lot. It takes notice. I mean, we were just a couple of guys that started this thing, and we are like, we'll see where it goes. Kind of like a joke, and it's kind of kicked off. I mean, we we're, you know, we see people, uh, you know, because we, we follow a lot of other different podcasts and channels as well, and there's some people, you know, they've been doing it for months, and people just don't follow their material. Um, so it means a lot. You really think a lot of us. Yeah, exactly. It seems like you guys like the content. Um, you know, we, we like last that we had um, a calculation on, we had somewhere 7,000 plus listeners, a lot of downloads. So, <clears throat> um, no, we really do appreciate it, guys. But, uh, you know, this, this, you know, for today, that's going to wrap up our part one of season four with. Uh, Game of Thrones. So this has been a production brought to you by uh, the Ridiculous Patronus crew. Yeah, this is uh, Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. off.